chance to feel like heroes too Forever we'll win And if we should lose We know someday we'll go all the way Yeah, someday we'll go all the way Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland. Our guest today is Jared Willis, who we've had on the podcast a couple times. He uh, writes for the Sporting News and a couple other publications. Uh, we talk about David Ross, of course, being added as the Cubs manager. And just, you know, what went wrong the last couple years with the Joe Madden era? Was it all on Joe Madden? Was the front office to blame? You know, we'll talk about all that stuff. It's a pretty interesting debate. Uh, we talk about some potential Cubs off-season moves. Jared's meeting with the Cookie Monster. We say in the seventh inning stretch this year. And then we end with a hard-hitting question about the television show The Office. It's pretty interesting, and Jared is a huge Office fan, so I kind of spring this one on him, but it's interesting. So without further ado, here is Jared. Jared, welcome back to Holy Cow. It's always good to have you on. Well, thanks for having me on. It's always uh, always fun to get to talk some baseball. That's right. All right, so uh, let's dive right in. Uh, the Cubs have now officially hired David Ross since the last time I've uh, recorded an episode of this, and it wasn't that unsurprising of a move. It, it came down to him and Joe Espada, the Astros bench coach, and the Cubs went with their old catcher, David Ross, and I thought I'd just ask you, what do you think of the hire? Well, I think, I mean, first of all, it's kind of, it's a move that I feel like we all sort of expected. It's not a, a big surprise that they went with Ross. Um, and I think there are reasons that people can feel good about it. And I think there are reasons that people might feel um, maybe a little leery. And I, and I this is going to sound like a cop-out answer, but the reality is like, we don't really have any idea how this is actually going to go until the season starts. Um, you know, spring training, I'll give you a bit of a look, but really until you're a month, two months into the season, we've had a, a chance to see him kind of work his way through the division and part of the league. We don't really, really know what this is going to be like. Um, but I, I think I, I feel mostly positive about it. I think there's, there's a few things that I'll just kind of be curious to see how he handles uh, things like you know, the reality that he, he was very good friends or is very good friends with a couple of the guys who are still on the team, like John Lester and Anthony Rizzo. And when the time comes and he's got to go to the mound and, and take the ball from Lester and tell him his day is done. Um, and maybe in, in one of those times when Lester feels like he can keep going, um, I don't know if, if them being friends makes that dynamic easier or if it makes that dynamic tougher um, so there's that, but for the most part, I think he's the kind of guy who's a good fit for maybe jolting them out of some of the complacency that perhaps seems like it's settled in, um, or at least just the, you know, that winner's trap, I'll borrow uh, Theo's term, you know, the winner's trap that they've sort of fallen into. Perhaps, perhaps Ross is the guy to help shake them out of that. Yeah, that's a thing too that, you know, I guess we can talk about this a little bit more, the winner's trap thing that basically, yeah, that, you know, when Joe Madden came in to be the Cubs manager, they had this, you know, 108 years 
futility. Will they ever win the big game? The pressure is just overwhelming, especially after 2015, which, you know, was more like a found money season. People did not expect 2015 to go so well. Then you get this playoff run to the NLCS, and then 2016 hits, and the pressure is just huge. The media market in Chicago, and Joe Madden's relaxed style and his vibes have just calmed everyone down. And it really was like, no matter what went wrong in 2016, they were just rolled with the punches and calm. And then, as Theo himself said, they win the World Series and all the pressure is gone. They're legends in Chicago for, I mean, none of those guys will ever have to pay for a drink again in any bar in Chicago. And the pressure is just all gone. And all of a sudden, without any internal pressure and no external pressure, they almost just kind of laid back. Now, I don't know if I totally believe that, but that's basically what Theo was saying. There was no motivation after the World Series was won. Yeah, and I I think, you know, my theory has kind of been a little bit different than that. I think it's just that, you know, you take one kind of pressure or one source of pressure and you just replace it with another. Um, you know, because like you said, when when Joe got there, the pressure was all about the weight of, you know, the quote unquote curse. Um, and then that pressure, I think, just got replaced by like, okay, you know, now you've done it. The thing that like so many fans had, had hoped for and looked forward to for such a long time, now you've done it. Now that sets in the reality that like the expectations are different, the standard has been raised. Um, and I don't, I don't, man, I don't know that a lot of people really thought about like what it was going to be like after the Cubs won the World Series, including people on the team or within the team. You know, it's kind of like um, when you, you know, you're asking somebody out on a date and you plan out everything you're going to say up to the point that they give you an answer. And then, you know, after the answer, you haven't really thought about like, well, what do I do after that? Um, I don't know if that's a great, great comparison, but something along those lines where, you know, these, I think there was a lot put into like getting there and winning the world series and then not as much put into, um, you know, so what do we do in the years that follow? Yeah, that, that does make sense. It's, you know, what's the other analogy people always use the, the dog catching the car. Like once they get to the car, what do I do now? I've been, yeah. Yeah, now I've got it. Now I got the thing that I was chasing for such a long time. Now what do I do? What do I do with it? Um, what happens next? I have no idea. So, yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of that. Um, I think I wrote about this a little over a month ago, but um, the the effect that it has, you know, some of these guys having been so young and so earlier early in their major league careers where – you know, you get to the majors basically, and and one of the very first things you do as a major leaguer is you win a World Series, and not just a World Series, but like the Cubs World Series. Um, and then how how can anything after that feel like anything but a letdown? Um, and no matter how well you do, and so I think there's that factor too, where a lot of guys are are still figuring out how to reconcile with like, you know, I came up and I. I, I was a rookie or I was in my second year when we won that world series. And, and now what, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that was, a, I guess you could say if there was a theme in uh, David Ross's introductory press conference, it was probably the word accountability. 
I think. What was it? Was accountability said ten times? It felt <laughs> like it was just over and over again in the speech that you know um, Ross and and Theo Epstein made. So I guess I'll ask you. Do you? I mean, obviously, it seems like a bit of a shot at Joe Madden. I don't know if it's intended to be that or not, but do you really think Joe Madden didn't hold the team accountable enough? Do you think that's fair, or do you think that's an overblown media narrative type of thing? I think somewhere on the scale between it, that's Joe Madden's fault and an overblown media thing. I think it's probably a lot closer to being an overblown media thing. I'm sure there's some truth to it, but, but I I think the, also the thing that people need to remember is, you know, when you're managing a major league baseball team, you're like, these aren't like high school kids. So there's a point where like, you, you can't make them do certain things. You can't, make them take advice that they're getting. You can't make them accept coaching. Um, one comment now that in hindsight that I think is interesting is when you think back to what, you know, Chili Davis said about some of these guys and, you know, a lot of, a lot of Cubs fans were, you know, were quick to be very critical of Chili Davis. And, and I, th- you know, I, I think there's, there's room for some of that, but, um, and he pointed out basically, you know, that, these guys don't want to, they don't want to be coached. Um, they don't think they need it. They, they, whatever. And so I wonder a lot about like the coachability of some of these players. Well, and yeah, so and that, what, was the, what was the word that was thrown around to the, the, the M word millennials? Yeah. Said yeah. And, and that may have been Joe sort of signaling like, Hey, I'm, you know, these are types of guys who just, yeah, just the coachability there isn't quite there. And, you know, especially like Madden, somebody who spent so many years in the minor leagues, like that was his thing was coaching guys and instructing and teaching and, and that kind of thing. And so now the idea that suddenly like he doesn't know how to do that. Um, I don't, I have a hard time with that. I think there's, there's a coachability factor. And I, and I wonder about like just the modern player in general, this may not be a, a problem unique to the Cubs, but like, you know, think about the way a lot of these guys come up, especially if you grow up in the U.S. You're, you know, you get specialized into baseball really early in your life. You probably get specialized coaching. You're doing showcases. You're playing on travel ball teams when you're eight, ten years old, and you get all this instruction. So by the time you reach the majors, how could you feel what, you know, you kind of have to get there feeling like I've got this figured out. And so then when a hitting coach comes along and says, well, maybe you should try this or, or tweak this, you know, you may just, as a player, you may just feel like, no, I don't, I don't need to do that. Cause that's not what I do. Or you may think, no, I've got, I've got my people that I work with on my hitting and I'm just going to go with whatever they tell me. So there, I think that's a very like complex problem. That's probably developing in baseball. Um, as a whole. So if Ross can help uh, cut away at some of that, I think that's, that could help to make the team make some pretty big strides. But um, I think that's a, a much more uphill battle than people might realize. Well, yeah. And it's one of those things too, where it's just, um, if you think about it, the days, like in any professional sport, bringing in, like, you're not going to get the high school. I'm going to, you know, peel the paint off the walls, screaming it you guys and raw raw stuff that's not going to work for 
a professional right. athlete. Right. So, and what you see now is a lot of this trend that's going on with Ross and you know and Aaron Boone and other where they're going younger former players, but they're bringing them bringing them in with no managerial experience, just bringing in these young guys, and it's almost like a change in the way that this whole idea of a manager is, you know, it's just like a completely new idea. Am I going too far with that? Or No, not at all. I think there's a very clear trend at this point. Um, you know, look at even just the managerial hires that we've seen this offseason so far. Um, look at who the Padres hired. Look at who the Mets just hired and who the Cubs have hired. Um, and that's just this year. And then go back last season and the Twins replaced Paul, Hall of Famer Paul Molitor with Rocco Baldelli. Um, and then the Yankees with Aaron Boone, the Red Sox with Alex Cora. So there's, there is a very clear trend here. I think that's pretty undeniable at this point. And so far, like a lot of teams have had success with it, which is, so you can't really fault other teams for wanting to do it too, where, you know, you look at what the Red Sox did in 2018 under Cora, you look how far the Yankees made it with Aaron Boone. You look at how good the twins were um, this past season. And so, you know, it's easy to look at that and say, you know, these guys not having experience sure doesn't seem to be such a big deal. Um, and, but then again, the, I guess the counter to that would be, we're, you know, we're neglecting to mention the, the examples of the, the same type of managers who haven't worked like Gabe Kapler in Philadelphia, uh, Mickey Calloway with the Mets. Um, although I would argue with the Mets, that's more a product of that might be kind of a dysfunctional organization, but, um, but anyway, so, you know, so there are examples too of managers that are young and inexperienced where it doesn't quite work, but there are more, um, where it has. And so I think it's safe to say for sure. Yeah, that's that's the trend right now. And that's the direction a lot of teams are going. Well, you know, it's funny that we were talking about managers because, of course, you know, there's another whole school of thought with this whole deal that, you know, we should be looking at Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer. And some of the moves that they've made have not worked the last few years. And, you know, now they've, they've gotten rid of Madden. You know, it was a mutual decision. I mean, clearly both sides wanted to move on. But now the onus is really going to be on them to see what moves they make. Can they upgrade the team? And of course that always brings in the whole bugaboo of what, how much money will the Rickett family let them spend? But what do you think of the, what moves are going to happen? Do you think there's going to be that, this big shakeup or is it going to be more piecemeal? I think that's, yeah. I mean, that's honestly, it's, I, I, the only way there's a big shakeup is if they are willing to trade one of those guys who has been a part of their their core for the last you know four or five seasons. Unless you're willing to part with one of those guys, there's just not the ability to make a big shakeup. Um, on offense, I think the the big move that a lot of Cubs fans are hoping to see is that they find a way to keep Nick Castellanos around, which. I, I think that they should do, um, but the reality is, is that means that somebody of Kyle Schwarber, Chris Bryant is maybe not on the roster anymore. Um, not mostly financially for financial reasons, but also like 
you know, if you're going to have Castellanos there long term with Jason Hayward, it's probably not right to push Jason Hayward out of right field on a permanent basis. I think if Castellanos is on your roster long term, he needs to move over and be your left fielder. Um, and so that that way Hayward can stick in right field where he's he's at his best. Um, but, yeah, that means like, you know, then where's room for Schwarber at that point? Um, or if you really want to, like, make a big splash and and change things significantly, maybe you do look at trading Chris Bryant. You know, with this grievance thing going on, he might be a free agent after this coming season. And so then you're faced with the question of, like, at some point, then we got to trade him and, and try to get something in return because I, I'm not terribly optimistic that they're going to be able to extend him. Yeah, it's it, that's one of those things, too. That, and you think about it, it would be like a Bryant or a Schwarber or because, you know, you know, I don't know. Do you put in like sentimental things? But it always feels like with um, a Javi Baez or Anthony Rizzo, they're more they're more valuable to the Cubs than they would be to anyone else. So you never feel like they're going to be the big trade ship. It always comes down to like a Chris Bryant or a Wilson Contreras. But, you know, Wilson yeah. Contreras, he's still under so much control. Do you want to pull the trigger on him so quick? It's very, it's a tough situation. Yeah, and I think when Contreras, um, I, the flip side of that might be that that might, that could be the way that you make him more enticing to another team is like, listen, you know, there is a lot of control on this player left. And so if you do trade for him, you know, you're not going to be in a position where you're forking over that big contract just yet. And you have a guy who's established that he can carry, carry an offense and he can be a, you know, very dynamic player in a lot of different ways. You know, he has his flaws, of course, but, you know, I think the benefits outweigh those to a pretty wide margin. So, yeah, I think it's probably going to come down to a trade that involves somebody like Contreras or Schorber, or if they're going to go really big, then maybe Bryant. So um, Cubs made a flurry of moves today in the past couple of days. Obviously, they kept uh, Anthony Rizzo with his very, very attractive player or team option. They exercised that. Uh, they let Cole Hamels go without a qualifying offer, which... I'm not that surprised because I would think Cole Hamels would probably take that uh, qualifying offer. Uh, they kept Jose Quintana, and then they pretty much cut ties of, I don't know, like four or five relievers that they probably weren't going to keep anyway, like David Phelps and players like that. So, uh, And one that kind of caused a weird out, outbreak of debate on Cubs Twitter was Kendall Graveman, who never actually pitched for the Cubs, but... You know, he was recovering from Tommy John surgery, and he was released. So then that caused a whole debate about the budget. But anyway, I just thought, what, were any of those moves, what, were any surprising, or they just kind of went the way you expected? Yeah, no, none of those seems surprising at all. They all seemed pretty predictable and procedural. Uh, even the Graveman thing, I mean, because that, be, that could be a lot of things. It could just be a matter of, they're not satisfied with where he is health wise. They're not, you know, they want to make room for somebody else. Cause they just added Colin. Uh, I think it's pronounced re, um, to the 40 man roster today as well. So it could have more to do with that. And they just think like, we got to make room for this guy. So we're going to let this guy go. 
I did see a lot of the conjecture about like, oh, well, they're just doing this because the budget, whatever. And I, I think that narrative has has gotten to be a little too intense. Um, but, but yeah, I think the Hamels one, they're they're also maybe hedging their bets on like when he hits the free agent market that they may be able to sign him for less than what that qualifying offer would have been because with the oblique injury at the the second half of this season, you know, his performance wasn't, he didn't quite bounce back. Um, didn't have an opportunity to bounce back in the second half. So, um, that may suppress his value just a little bit, which is, you know, it's unfair to him, but it's just the reality of the way that these things work at this point. And so, um, they may be looking at that and saying like, let's gamble on this a little bit and see if, you know, a month from now, two months from now, we can sign him for a little bit less or just, it may just be a matter of we're clearing a spot and we're, we got to move on um, either way. But yeah, nothing that they've done so far has, has really stood out to me. And then I'll just ask you this real quick. And I'm kind of, I think this is going to be a yes answer. So I'm hoping this is because for a lot of reasons, I want, I think a lot of people want this to happen, but you, you, you think Addison Russell is going to be non-tendered, right? I <laughs> I would really be baffled if if they kept him. I just don't see the reason. There's too many reasons not to not to keep that guy around. And and even without factoring in all that's gone on with him off the field, even without that, take remove that from the equation. And look at his performance, and and find me the reason to to sign him for, um, more than you know, keep him around for more than league minimum. So, I'd have to think that that that's probably the move that they're going to make is is to let him go. Um, but I've I've been surprised in the past by their their attitude toward him and, and the way that they've handled um, him and that organization. And so I don't. You know, I, I can't say that I'm 100% confident that that's what they're going to do. Uh, so I'll ask one more um, about the on off the field, you know, the preseason, offseason, I guess I'll say preseason. The offseason moves, and then I'll get to a couple fun questions. But um, so what do you see any – I'm going to ask you, like, one move you think the Cubs are going to make. Um, it can be a minor signing or added depth player, something that you think that – you feel like is a good fit for the Cubs and you think they'll, they'll do. Um, well, I think, I think one of the things that has stood out as a glaring need for the last three seasons is somebody who can be a consistent presence at the top of the lineup. Um, now we might be sort of underwhelmed by who they get, but if they can focus on somebody who is a high contact hitter, makes a lot of contact can find a way to get on base without necessarily being flashy in other ways. I think that's what I would prioritize on offense. Um, who that is, that's, it feels early to, to make a guess at how that is going to shake out. But I, I feel like offensively, that's the move that you make. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I think they're they're If they're going to make a big move this winter, I think it's either that they're making a, a trade like we talked about earlier, or that they find a way budget wise um, to keep Castellanos around and make that work. So I, I think those are the big things to watch for 
um, here in the next couple of months. Yeah, and, you know, on my side, I think, I don't know how likely this is to happen, but I'm very curious about Howie Kendrick, who is a free agent. It might fit a role similar to Ben Zobris that he had before, but I don't know if the World Series might have over, you know, increased his value to a point where it might not be feasible, but that's a guy I'm interested in. Yeah, and I think he's a that's a, a great he seems like he would be a fantastic fit for, you know, like reasons you just mentioned. Um, but yeah, and I don't know about, about an increase in his value just because the way the free agent market has operated the last few off seasons, it's like, you know, when the best guys in, in the game, some of the best names available can't get signed until March. Um, you know, it may not matter that Howie Kendrick was as good as he was in the postseason. But yeah, I think he's a. That's uh, I think he would fit in really, really nicely with the Cubs. Okay, so because the offseason really hasn't developed much more, so we don't have much more to say about that. But uh, you spend sometimes in the you know the press um, booth for the for the Cubs games. You you know you've been credentialed, which is we've talked about before. It's pretty awesome, but. Uh, this summer, you got to meet a personal hero of yours who's playing the seventh inning stretch, a Mr. Cookie Monster. Yes. I thought I would let everyone <laughs> talk about I mean, that's like, come on. That's yeah. pretty good. Well, one of the, I mean, one of the cool things about being in the press box at Wrigley is when the seventh inning stretch singer comes, like, you, you see them. And if you step out of the press box usually you get to at least say hi and meet them and so you know i've had the chance the last couple of years to meet like eddie vetter and tom morello from rage against the machine i met nick offerman uh this season and you know a lot of other you know big names like that but it was funny like when cookie monster was there it was like their reaction from all of us that were in the press box was so much different because like there was just something about cookie monster that like turned us all into kids again. Um, you know, the big dopey grins that we all had on our faces when we went out to see cookie monster, um, you know, no other celebrity who has come up there has, has prompted that reaction. And to be honest, like that's the only time I've ever thought like I need to take a picture with this person because, like I said, I've I've met some other like pretty big name people, but I've all, my reaction has always just been, hey, you know, nice to meet you, big fan of your work, whatever. Um, but I'm never like, hey, can we get a picture together? Um, but Cookie Monster, I was like, I have to, I must, I need a picture of being Cookie Monster. So, um, yeah, that was easily a a season highlight from this past year. Yeah, no, I mean, like the the internet just exploded. I mean. We were all just like, oh, my God, the Cookie Monster people. Yeah. You know, we wanted them to sing every game. And, yeah, it was crazy. It was, and it was so, honestly, it was one of the, like, it was just so refreshing. Um, yeah, and just, like, everyone's reaction was this. We all just felt, like, so light because of it, which was which is great, you know, to have for, for just a little while. Well, it's good that we talked about that, because now I'm going to get into a burning controversy that has, you know, <laughs> caused many a Twitter debate. So, as I'm sure if anyone listens, you're on the Cubs Den podcast a lot uh, with 
Miles and um, yes, and you guys talk about the Office a lot. Big fans of the Office. I mean, who doesn't like the Office? I'm a big right, fan. right. But there is a hot take that the past couple years has been spreading around Twitter and leading to many debate. And I thought I'd have to ask you about it. Are Jim and Pam the villains of the Office? I want your answer. The the true genius of the office is that they're at different points. They're all the villains, right? Like nobody on that show is is good or bad. Like that's what makes this makes this show work so nicely. I don't know. Like the the show doesn't lend itself to like villains and and that sort of thing. So I feel like that's an overly simplistic approach to the show. So my answer to that, my short answer to that is no. They're not the villains. Um, I, I think that's that might be people oversimplifying things and not giving the characters the nuance that they have. Yeah, it, yeah. I don't know where that falls in um, with with the debate. I may have missed this somewhere along the way. I, th- I know I've seen some things where people have pointed out that, like, you know, Jim is kind of a jerk in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, or, I, I, can, I can give you like the general outline of the things. I'm on your side with this, but. I'll give you the general outline on the position of the people that say this. Um, okay. Okay. So you got uh, Pam's with Roy. Right. And then, you know, Jim says, you know, puts it all on the line and she says no. And then she leaves him later after she's already said no to Jim, dumps Roy. Then Jim starts, you know, dating Karen and then just dumps Ooh. her after he gets her to move. Right. Yeah. Um, she moves to Scranton. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for him. And then okay. he just dumps her. Then later on, Pam basically, you know, leverages, the, you know, Dunder Mifflin to get the job back when Michael forms the Michael Scott Paper Company. Right. Pretty much leverages her way to get back. And then later on, when her job as a saleswoman goes away, she kind of cons her way into being the supply manager. Ooh. And, yeah, this is okay. like... Okay. And Man. They're, and they're they do all these pranks and stuff and you know mess with everyone else and Right. It's all about them. They don't care who they hurt. This is the That's interesting. Wow. That's like, interesting. That argument. You know, I've never I got to say my initial response was I I did the wrong thing. I responded before I understood the other side. Mm-hmm. Um I'm still not sure I agree, but that's I got to say that's a very compelling case. Because that's, you lay all that stuff out there, like, it is hard to defend, you know, yeah, objectively, you look at all that, and then look at, too, what Jim does when he starts his own business, like, he kind of does it on the sly, he's using Dunder Mifflin, you know, resources to help make it happen, like, he's, you know, he's doing work for that when he's at their office, and he's using their phone, like, yeah, I don't know. There's that. That's a very compelling case. I I, I gotta say. Yeah. Now, of course, I'm sure you agree with me. When we, the show was first on, I was very uh, pro Jim and Pam. I mean, oh yeah, that was all I was about. So it's kind of like one of those things where they're like, you know, that thing that you really cared about like ten years ago. Well, I'm gonna make it seem really bad, and you're gonna feel bad. <laughs> that's what it's kind of like. But you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a compelling case. It definitely is. I gotta. I don't know who is involved in this debate and who's on that side of it, but I, 
I got to hand it to him. That's a that's a very compelling case, and it's tough to argue against. Like that's really, wow, yeah, that's that's good to call, because like, and I'm also I got to I'm kind of biased because like my wife is always giving me a hard time because she always says that I. I, I act as if Jim and Pam are like real people and it's, it's an, a real relationship that I'm somehow involved in or invested in. So, um, I may not be the most clear headed observer of those two people, but yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting debate. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. And you know, if that's like, you watched the episode with the wedding, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm in, I'm like in every time. Oh yeah. When he cuts off his tie. I'm like, Oh my God. yeah for yeah and then they sneak off and they get married under the falls and oh yeah yeah i'm a sucker for it yep so i have a hard time with that but it's you know if you think about it logically but that's the great thing about tv i guess it's just you can we can or we can get in these huge debates about and especially a show that you know went off the air i don't even know how many years ago now but yeah we can still enjoy enjoy these discussions well i guess that's a good uh point to cut off our baseball <laughs> slash office podcast um of course i'll, I'll let you uh where people can find you on the internet and you're writing articles a lot of different places uh sporting yeah. news, some other places so yeah i think like most people the easiest thing to do is just you know find me on twitter at at jay willis it's j-w-y-l-l-y-s and uh you know from there um anything that i write or or do i'll you know i always push it from there i think like anybody else so you know that's that's the best place to look or if you're not a twitter person and you're on facebook um you can just search me by name jared willis j-r-e-d-w-y-l-l-y-s and uh, i've got a, a writer facebook page there as well where i share the things that i do so Either one of those things, and uh, um, yeah, check it out. Okay, and thank you for coming on, Jerry. Yeah, thanks for having me. I always enjoy doing it. If you want to contact the podcast, you can always tweet me at sth85 or send an email to holycowpod at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the podcast at the Apple Podcast Store on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and you can also find it on Spotify. So, a lot of places to find the podcast. And until our next episode, thank you as always for listening.